0: a lot of attention over the years to uh, Charles Dickens' tale, A Christmas Carol, um, and maybe even thought uh, particularly about kind of the motivations going on in the, the primary character, uh, Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge. You know what's up behind his, you know, he's this miserly, miserable, crusty, even cruel kind of character in that, in that tale. Um, uh, Dickens introduces us to to Mr. Scrooge, uh, who is this like tight-fisted, un, uh, money moneylender, and, and he abuses his faithful employee, Bob Cratchit, as you, you may well recall. Um, he is uh, hates Christmas with so a bitterness and a venom that kind of comes out in his you know responses to uh, those who would wish him Merry Christmas, um, and, and we discover through the storytelling of Dickens that. Uh, There was once hope for Mr. Scrooge. There was a a time when he actually had some potential, but a a love for money eclipsed all other loves and pushed Bell out of his life, the the love of his life, pushed Mr. Fezziwig, a very kind, generous man to him, out of his life, and ultimately he he, he became enclosed and bitter and a a vile human being. And it's not until um, his former partner Bob Marley comes back from the afterlife to convince Scrooge, to show Scrooge uh, initially the, the error of his ways, the, the poverty of his soul, um, but it's, it's it's not actually until he's confronted with his own mortality um, that uh, a change comes about. And it's, it's maybe not realistic how fast the change comes, or is it? Um, because he wakes up the next morning with this, this new appreciation for, for light and the morning and the people on the street and there's a, a new generosity that's present in his, in his heart and he takes Bob Cratchit's impoverished family under his wing and, and the tiny Tim the cripple in particular and, and of course Dickens intended us to kind of draw a moralism this. You know, there's a moral to the story. Uh, uh, don't be miserly. Don't be Scrooge-like. I mean, so invasive in our society, we will refer to someone as a Scrooge. Well, don't, don't be a Scrooge. Um, but there's a biblical concept that is actually underlying that, that doesn't always get referenced, that we want to reference this morning, not in further analysis of A Christmas Carol, but just, it's, it's getting toward this idea that joy is intimately connected to the concepts of of, of grace, uh, to the concept of thanksgiving, uh, and detached from uh, from this, as attempting to separate uh, gratitude out of uh, an expression of joy, uh, is going to is going to deflate and and make impossible uh, genuine biblical holy joy. Um, This Christmas season, we're going to spend our time examining this word and the idea of joy. Uh, We're going to cycle back each week to the angels' announcement to the shepherds on the hillside, the Judean hillside outside of of Bethlehem. uh, Their announcement, where they said in in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, they said, "...do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord." So this morning we're going to look at the role that anticipation played in allowing the participants in the Christ event to engage in, to experience something of the joy which was announced. What was anticipated and how did the realization of what was anticipated lead to thanksgiving and thanksgiving to joy? To help us think about this this morning, the drama team are going to come in just a minute. Uh, but let me read for us first from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, and in the New International Version, it will be on the screen if you'd like to follow there. This is the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord at the quiet this morning, you be seated.
1: good afternoon. Mom, I have to talk to you. Oh, were you up half the night texting with Joseph again? No, no, it's nothing like that. Well, here it is. An angel. Like a real angel. From God. Showed up in my room last night. I couldn't sleep, so I started to spend some time in prayer. When all of a sudden this huge, glowing angel appeared in front of me. I was so shocked. I could barely speak. Yeah, kind of you right? Now. <laughs> Wait, is this a joke? Wait, are there even cameras around the kitchen somewhere? No,
0: no, it's nothing like that. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. He said his name was Gabriel, and that God has chosen me for a special purpose.
1: A special purpose. A special? What kind of special part? You're not going to go like halfway around the world on some mission from God, are you? Of course not. He said that I was going to be the mother of the Messiah. <laughs> he said God was going to make me pregnant with the Savior of the world. Or maybe he already has. Can you believe it? Uh, no. I know. Uh, this whole thing is so... Unbelievable, but um, I don't know why God would choose me. Like It makes no sense. Yet clearly a lot of this conversation is making no sense. I know it sounds crazy, but you should have been there. The angel was so glorious yes. and he assured me that everything would be okay. And I know that it is. God can do anything, right? Yeah. Wait, okay. Are you sure you didn't just have like a weird dream or something? Maybe you had some bad schwarma last night. I was wide awake.
0: Oh, and I almost forgot. The angel told me that Elizabeth's going to have a baby too. That means Jesus will have a cousin almost his same age. Whoa! Jesus?
1: But That's what the angel said i was supposed to name the baby. And, wait a second. Elizabeth. Like, our cousin, Elizabeth?
0: Yeah, Elizabeth. Ah, uh, Mary. Hey, Elizabeth was already having hot
1: flashes back when you were still playing Barbie. <laughs> there is no possible way she could even be correct. And besides that, if she was, she would have posted it all over Facebook by right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Text her. Maybe I should go see Joe. I should probably tell him sooner rather than later. Oh, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hold on a second. No way. How do you think he's going to respond? The cat? He's going to find out that his fiance is pregnant? Um, with God's child? But you're right. You should probably figure out a good way to tell him first. What do you think is I cheated on him? No one's going to believe me. Maybe, maybe I should take the pregnancy test. Or, it's probably too early. Wait, is it too early? It- is a supernatural uh, pregnancy different than a regular pregnancy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what do you want me to do? Go to chapters and see if I can pick up a copy of Messianic pro- Pregnancies for Dummies? Uh, or how would I Google it? Maybe, well, I don't know, we'll download a copy
0: of. Well, mine. Right. Sorry. Sorry about the sarcasm. I just.
1: Oh, this is all so, so much. I hope. Oh, Oh, it's Elizabeth. She says, she's sorry she didn't tell us sooner, that, uh, oh, she says she thought everybody would think she was nuts. She's five months pregnant.
0: That with all of that all around the birth of Jesus was joy. How does a, a teenage girl who has just become aware that she is pregnant and has been given an enormously difficult assignment how does she come to a place of joy? How does she come to a place of, of anticipation of that which on the surface to destroy her life. Next Sunday, we're going to consider more closely what has come to be known as Mary's song or the Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Just to peek ahead a little bit, how does a teenage youth come to such a place of joy? As we saw, there are awkward conversations that we're going to follow. There's the, the rumor mill conversations. There's, Crystals helped us with this script to kind of enter into a sanctified imagination. What did that conversation look like? That first conversation between Mary and her mom. But then there's more awkward conversations. There's the one with Mary and her dad. There's the one with Mary and Joseph. There's going to be the one with Mary and Elizabeth. We'll look at that one next week. And, and they were awkward. They were the awkward conversations in our culture. Let alone in a culture where, if you were perceived to be a promiscuous woman, it could cost you your life. One of the points would be that there was some serious discomfort going on, some pain associated with God's assignment, His calling, to her. This morning I want to contend that Joy came to Mary. She was able to experience Joy in the midst of a difficult assignment, and it came as a result of her submission to God. It came as a result of of her submission to God, and that didn't come just out of the blue. It, it wasn't just a, a presto changeo. It was something that was allowed to her uh, as she... Well, she's invited to recognize that there's a contemporary situation that needs to be resolved. There's a, there's a problem going on, and there's a current need that needs to be resolved. And, and it came also in response to a historic... Fulfillment of prophecy, ancient prophecy that would be fulfilled. And, and these became part of what allowed her to enter into the joy of the Lord, even in the midst of, of this really difficult assignment. So where, where did we find this idea of, of submission? If you have your sermon notes, you can pull them out and, and follow along. Where's this idea of submission to be found? Well, we, re, we read it, actually, in her response to the angel Gabriel's visitation and revelation. She says in chapter 1, verse 46, I am the Lord's servant. So the word "servant" is there. I am. I am I'm here for the purpose of serving my God, rather than the purpose of meeting my own needs and aspirations. Can you imagine what the needs, what the aspirations, what the dreams of 16-year-old young girl? Ah, we got. A, to transport ourselves back to another time and another place 2,000 years ago, but the dreams and the aspirations, the fundamentals of life, those things that you would look forward to, weren't enormously different on hold, new plan, God's got something different coming. I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled, Or, or in the Old English, be it unto me according to thy word, we sing it that way more often. Be it unto me. I accept the assignment. I am the Lord's servant. And I'm saying yes to the Lord's assignment. Now, the statement of submission, it didn't come just straight out of the blue. There, there was substantial and there was a meaningful lead up that led to that place. It was God's grace to her to bring her to the place where she could say yes to his assignment. That there's context, that there's history, that they've all built up to this. She was enabled to see God was meeting a current need that came in response to this ancient prophetic promise, and, and, and we'll see how she entered into joy as she followed this, this train of thought. So, a current need that God was going to meet um, is maybe best illustrated through the, the voices of the people who were around Mary, the people who were around the Christ event. Listen to, or, well, let me just kind of underscore, outline what four of them had to say about this. Two that were around the birth of Jesus, and two uh, that, that actually articulate their, we hear their words, after his death, burial, and his resurrection. So just, before, just after the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, Mary and Joseph took Jesus into the temple to be circumcised. And we are introduced to a, a senior man named Simeon. Here's what it says. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, devout to God, faithful to God. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon was waiting for Israel's consolation. The Greek word is paraklesis, comforting. the same root word that, that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter. He was waiting for for Israel's consolation. Would someone come and console Israel in the midst of her her horrific pain? And and, and a short survey of Israel's history is sufficient to demonstrate how profound that pain was. After the southern kingdom of Judah, had returned from their Babylonian captivity. They'd gone into captivity in 598 B.C., Seventy years later, they were redeemed by the new bully on the block, the Medes and Persians, uh, 538 BC. They were redeemed. They were sent back to, they were released. They were sent back to Israel to rebuild a life. But life was difficult. 500 years of constant struggle, of, of, of battle, of disappointment. Of, of, so initially it was with neighbors. And then the Greeks came, and Alexander the Great. Conquered the area, violated the temple, horrific stories from that period of history. And then the Romans followed, and in their notorious fashion, kept Israel under their iron heel. Console us, Lord. Our pain, our disappointment, all the expectations that we had are so substantial. And yet, what we find ourselves facing is disappointment is disillusioned, is pain. There was another faithful senior in the temple that day. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel to be consoled. Anna was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. But notice, apparently, she's not the only one who's waiting for this redemption. There were others who were waiting, watching, hoping, praying. It says she, she spoke to those others. Lord, come and redeem us. We are waiting for your redemption. We sold ourselves into sin. and and we are paying the desperate price for that sin, and and are longing that we would be restored by you, that we would once again be in intimate communion with our neighbor. Simeon and Anna, just after Jesus' birth. this This was the current situation. This was what they were looking forward to. Listen to the two men on the road to Emmaus, just after Jesus' death, Luke 24, 21. Dr. Luke tells us that the resurrected Jesus was walking with them that Sunday afternoon, Jesus having been crucified on, on Friday, unbeknownst to these two men, he'd been raised from the dead on, on the Sunday morning, and, and, and listen to the conversation, he asked about, Jesus asked about the commotion, feigning uh, lack of knowledge, and they replied, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. He said the need was being keenly felt. Console us. Redeem us. We are in desperate straits. When, Lord? How long, Lord? How much much longer must we wait in order to see your power come among us, in order to see your rescue affected to us, in order to feel your embrace around us? And we would be remiss if we thought that this good news and great joy was only about economic or, or political relief. This was about the greatest and deepest need of the human heart. God was meeting a current need, but this was also about an ancient prophetic promise that He was fulfilling. If we were to track, um, if we were to track it through history, uh, we would find over here uh, creation, um, when God spoke the world all that is into being. Fall, but when. Humanity said, yeah, I don't think so. But nuts to you, I will walk in my own way. I will be in charge of my own life. I've got adequate knowledge, I've got adequate... And, and found ourselves alienated from our creator. And promised that God would intervene and fix this mess. And we find that all in the first three chapters of the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And, and, and the promise comes in the form of the statement that God would crush the head of the snake oil salesman who, who convinced Eve to trade, to trade her allegiance. Trade her allegiance for the one who made her and, and to give that allegiance. To another, God would crush the head of Satan, Genesis three fifteen, and the promise that God would bring deliverance through Abraham's family then also comes in the first book of the Bible, through the book of Genesis, and then there's subsequent clarity brought to this promise through Moses, uh, in particular as as God's covenant is renewed at Mount Sinai. As, the, as Moses has, in, in obedience to God, led the children of Israel out and toward the Promised Land. And then even more confirmation and clarity comes in the pages of Old Testament Scriptures. Uh, maybe particularly profound is God's promise to David that, that not through just Abraham, uh, but now through the line of David, through his kingship, this, this lesser king would be responsible for bringing into the world the greatest king. And his kingdom would never end. And that's what the angel was referring to when he spoke to Mary and and said, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. An eternal kingdom, clearly Clearly, more than something natural. This is a supernatural thing that's being described. This good news is supernatural news. And it's coming fulfillment of God's ancient promise. But there was a significant problem in the fulfilling of that promise. God had brought the children of Abraham, and then his son Isaac and his son Jacob had brought them into the land of promise. But they struggled desperately in that place of promise. And in fact, the longer they lived in the land of promise, the more they became like the previous inhabitants, the Canaanites. And God warned them if you become like the Canaanites, I will treat you like the Canaanites. But in Deuteronomy 18, Prophet Moses preached a sermon at the end of his life. He said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen. Prophetic expectation, the anticipation, continues through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Another prophet, like Moses, of his family, of this family, the nation of Israel, is coming. This Messianic hope is, is present in the Pentateuch. It's it's present through what we call the historic writings of the Old Testament, especially in the, the encounter with David, and the promise that he would always have, he would always have have, have a king on the throne that that God was gonna bless the line of David. In fact, there would be an eternal kingship there. The messianic hope was present in the writings of, of the psalmists. And it was present in the writing of the prophets. In particular, Isaiah had so much to say about it. Isaiah chapter 7, he wrote: The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son and will call him Emmanuel. And the context was God speaking a promise to the ancient Israelite king. Jewish, a uh, Jew, Judah king, uh, King Ahaz, who was in Jerusalem, the city was surrounded by neighboring armies, and the promise was that probably what he means is his young wife is going to give birth to a child, and by the time that child is, is old enough to enjoy the luxuries of the land, they will be able to. In other words, the siege will be over, and God was going to bring deliverance. But St. But Matthew, in his gospel, tells us there was another layer of meaning here Uh, that was to be anticipated, and that was in reference to this virgin girl whom we have been speaking of. Centuries later, the Messiah would come through her. Isaiah brings further clarification, speaking on God's behalf. Isaiah 9, he says, "For To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, as, uh, over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The, the Messiah was anticipated to be fully human, of the line of David. But, but, but Isaiah here begins to foresee that he's more than just human. Ascribing to him names and responsibilities that could only be divine. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, a never-ending government, an eternal kingship. And and as we move through the historic timeline, there's an increase in the clarity concerning the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah spoke further. He spoke of how the Messiah would serve God's people in, in what we refer to as the Servant Songs. Jeremiah foresaw the slaughter of the innocents as a result of King Herod's rage. The prophet Micah foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Ezekiel saw him as a shepherd like David who would, would feed God's people. Zechariah saw that he would come as a king, but riding on a young colt, a young donkey, rather than a war horse, speaking of his humility, the humility in which he had come. And Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, to, to write scripture, foresaw John the Baptist's coming in preparation for the Messiah. This is what was anticipated. And here's what the Apostle Peter tells us about these things. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love With him I am well pleased. Uh, There are two times in the Gospels when that phrase is used. Once is at Jesus' baptism, but what Peter's referring to here was on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was transfigured and Elijah and Moses were present, uh, and they saw his glory. He says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also, Peter goes on, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophets' own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." There's an ancient anticipation. God had been preparing the way and had been stirring an expectation Throughout the Old Testament, there was this ever-growing, ever-increasing clarity concerning the coming of the Messiah. We we refer to it as progressive revelation, where where God has built on what is preceded in Scripture through the pages of subsequent Scripture, and brings increasing clarity. And not only increasing clarity, but there was an increase in, in the intensity of the sense of need for the Messiah. And Mary was led to this place of joy as she recognized in her situation that she was a part of meeting, of, of meeting a, a current need that God was intent on, on filling. And she was participating in the fulfillment of an ancient prophetic expectation. And it was leading her to a place where she could experience a contemporary experience of joy. Listen to Mary again. I am the Lord's Servant. That's Mary's yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. May your word to me be fulfilled. I will walk this path with you, Lord. Though there's substantial inconvenience. Uh, though, though there is pain attached to this yes. We'll look at it again next week, but listen to Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord. Magnify. Not like a magnifying glass that makes something small look big, but like a telescope that makes something enormous but distant. Brings it into clear focus. Because I'm saying yes to the Lord, His greatness is going to be seen through me. Because I'm saying yes. Yes to the Lord. Others will look at this event and see the greatness that is His greatness. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. If you thought about the word rejoice. I thought that word. Rejoice to infuse with joy, to rejoy. What are the good things? Identify your life. <coughs> what are the places of gratitude, Colin? Invited us to pray about it just a few minutes ago. What are the places of gratitude in your life? Ann and I have been reading, albeit very slowly, together uh, through Anna Von Camp's book, uh, One Thousand Gifts." Uh, she, she recounts, rather poetically in her, her style, a, a life that had resulted in, in deep pain and sorrow. As a child, witnessing The farm accident that killed her younger sister. The harshness and heaviness of life on a difficult farm as a farmer's wife. Family struggles, and then came the diagnosis of cancer. In the depths of her serious depression, the numbness to life and to God, she began to meditate on the word Eucharisteo. That's a Greek word which means to give thanks. The, the, The word uh, the root of the word is charis. You've charisteo Charis means grace. Now let me read uh, an excerpt for you here. She quotes Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them. I in this place make porridge, scrub toilets, do laundry, and for days, weeks, I am brave, and I do get out of bed and think on this, study this, I studied this, the full life, the being fully ready for the end. he got cancer. I start to think that maybe there is a way out of nightmares to dreams, maybe. I thumb, run my finger across the pages of the heavy and thick books bound. I read it slowly in the original language, he gave thanks. Reads, Eucharisteo. I underlined it on the page. Can can it lay a sure foundation under a life? Offer the fullest life? The root word of Eucharisteo is the meaning grace. Jesus took the bread and saw it as grace and gave thanks. He took the bread and knew it to be gift and gave thanks. But there's more. I read it, eucharisteo, thanksgiving. It envelops the Greek word for grace, charis, but it also holds its derivative, the Greek word chara, meaning joy, joy. I think I might be needing some of that. That might be what the quest for more is all about. That which Augustine claimed, quote, without exception, all try their hardest to reach the same goal. That is joy. I breathe deep like a sojourner finally coming home. That has always been the goal of fullest life, joy. And my life knew exactly how elusive that slippery, three lettered word joy can be. I think of it then again that night of nightmares. The flailing, frantic, moon-eyed lunge for more. More (coughs) what? And this was it. I could tell how my whole being responded to that one word. I longed for more life, for more holy joy. Deep Chara joy is found only at the table of Yuharisteo, the table of thanksgiving. Sit there long, wondering, is it that simple? Is the height of my chara joy dependent on the depths of my yuchara steo thanks? So then, as long as thanks is possible, I think this is true. As long as thanks is possible, then joy is always possible. Joy is always possible, whenever, meaning now, wherever, meaning here. The holy grail of joy is not in some exotic location or some emotional mountain peak experience. The joy wonder could be here. Here, in the messy, piercing aching of now, joy might be unbelievably possible. The only place we need see before we die is this place of seeing God here and now. I whispered aloud, let the tongue feel these wounds, the ear hear their truth. Charis, grace. Eucharisteo, thanksgiving. Chara, joy. A triplet of stars constellation in the black. A threefold cord that might hold a life, offer a way up into the fullest life. Grace, thanksgiving, joy, You Eucharist table. You created God's joy. You were created that, that His glory would be seen in you. And you're invited to manifest that in every circumstance of life, in every situation you find yourself, by bringing yourself again to the table which is an able thanksgiving. When we say, be it unto me according to thy word, for I am the Lord's servant.